The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, annoying politicians, food, and definitely no content of a defamatory nature whatsoever. Saturday the 1st of October 2022. Welcome to Q4. The Spring Series continues with a special guest who almost needs no introduction. It's John Birmingham. You know him for his books, for his columns, for his endless snark, and of course, he's been on before. You know who he is. In this episode, uh, on the serious side, we talk about Russia v Ukraine. What might happen if Vlad thinks he's trapped in a losing situation? It does... uh raise the prospect that he will just keep escalating and escalating and escalating until, you know, he decides to start tossing nukes over there. On the less serious side, we hear about JB's fascinating new toy. It's like a giant jade egg and it's it's super thick, or at least mine is, because mine's enormous. And... Yes, this is your fault, dear listener. We talk about opposition leader Peter Dutton. If I had known that Peter Dutton was the sort of bloke who had friends and barbecues, I might well have gone differently in the ballot box. Hello, I'm Still Gerrion. This is the 9pm Curiously Circular Ham and Potato with John Birmingham. John Birmingham, I believe you are in the nation's capital as we record this for a con. I, uh, I am. I, I came down for a uh, a nerdy conference. Um, they've got a thing called Conflux here, which is a bunch of super nerds who like to sit around and talk about sci-fi and and time travel and stuff. And I, you know, said I would come down and hang out. So here I am. It's quite handy then that you've written some books about that. Yeah, although weirdly enough, they uh, they don't want me talking about them. Maybe they're shit or something. Oh. I don't know. But well, uh, they're all right. I, I think These I think are okay. to be honest, still, I think I am here for my engaging personality. Absolutely, Canberra needs all the help it can get. Now, JB, when we spoke last time, it was in April. It was before the federal election. Mm. How has your life changed? It's vastly improved. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, I got a lift in from the airport with uh, uh, Kat Sparks, who's running the the Canberra Nerd Fest. And um, I I, I said to her, you know, is is it it better here? She lives here. I said, is it better here since, you know, we we kicked him out? She said, oh, my God, you've got no idea. It's so much better. <laughs> but, uh, and to be honest, it, it actually, it felt, yeah, it, 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 there was this sort of, this pall which appeared, you know, felt like it had been lifted from the place or something. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's funny. You would have been the same. A lot of people would have been the same. You'd catch yourself occasionally. It, was, it lasted about three, three and a half weeks, I found. Yeah. I, I just sort of find myself walking down the street and I'd suddenly stop and go, <gasps> he's gone. He's gone. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! He's gone. <laughs> and then I continue on with my day. I saw. I saw AFR had. Um, they've got their ridiculous, uh, like power survey thing. I don't know. They just, you know, they just decide who are the biggest swinging dicks in the country every year, and and um, 
I could say, you know, it's it's Albo on the, the cover this year, I think. Uh, but I, I was flicking through it because they they had a very AFR breakdown of, um, you know, what, what happened to, to ScoMo. You know, did, didn't cut enough taxes, you know, didn't, didn't squash enough doll bludges. Um, uh, yeah. But halfway down, yeah. there was – there was a their cover from their previous year, which was uh, their previous uh, power issue, and it was it was that prick, and he had, he had the smirk, that terrible oh, sort God. of lopsided smirk, and he was in his suit, and he's got his sharkies, um, uh, what do you call those things you wrap around your neck in scarf, noose for his scarf, yeah, 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 he's got his, his sharky scarf and his smirk, and I just. I, just, I instantly, I just, I, I had a moment. Oh no! But and then I remembered, oh, he's gone. Ah, he's Thing gone. is, though, and magic though those few weeks were, we've now come to the realization that it's still just politicians in charge, right? I mean, That's just the ALP, you know, yeah. and they'll always let you down. That's the weird thing. Like in a way, uh, you know, the libs and the nats will never let you down, ever. You know, they they will live down to your expectations, but they will never let you down. Whereas, you know, that is the uh, that is the fate of the ALP governments, I reckon. Well, we need to talk about Doomed something else now, and I'm ge- I'm going to do sorry, yeah, I'm going to do something that I've not done before, which is I'm going to open the very first conversation topic to a listener because a supporter has sent in and requested a specific conversation topic for us today. Actually, we've got another one later and four trigger words just for you. Mm. So I don't know where this is going to go. But thanks to, or perhaps blame should be apportioned to, (laughs) a gay rainbow anarchist, Peter Dutton is our first topic. Mm. You a fan? How could you not be? How could you not be a fan of a bloke who started his working life <laughs> Queensland police force in the uh, I think it was the vice squad, maybe it was the drug squad, who cares, they were And he went from there to being one of the richest men in parliament. I mean, that is an inspiring story. That 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 kind of start in life, that would have broken a lot of people, like surrounded by those shenanigans. Yeah. And he he just, he, he, I mean, I don't know the bloke. I've never spoken to him. But looking from the outside, he's obviously had a look around and he's gone, this isn't for me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not having any of this. And so he quits the force. I think he quit. I think he quit about three weeks before he was due to get his pension or his payout or something. So, again, like commitment Selfless. from the earliest days to saving the public money. And then he goes and he takes what I imagine would have been, you know, a, a, a reasonably modest salary as a copper, and he turns it into an absolutely thriving property development business. It's, it's inspiring, mate. I, I'm inspired. Now, now my my lawyers <laughs> are advising me at this point to say a number. Can of I things. not say that I'm inspired by Peter Dutton? He's <laughs> one of the richest motherfuckers in Parliament. Like you know, that's stick to itiveness, mate. That's hard work. 
It is. Um, he, he worked from an early age, from his teenage years, in his father's building business. Mm. And yes. I, I assume he got a Learned lot of the trade. Help. Learned the trade, got in literally on the ground floor, um, got in buying on the property ladder very early. Yeah, before reality TV gave everybody the idea. Yeah. Inspirational. That's foresight. Absolutely fucking inspirational. Yeah. And he he did say, and I can't remember whether it's in the Four Corners thing we might hear a clip from or two from in a second, or from the the extremely balanced hagiography in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that was an day. amazing piece of work. That yeah. uh, you sent me that, like completely yeah. unrelated to us having this chat, and uh, I just I, I read it. Like I, I don't often read the Oz nowadays, you know, because. Um, but I read that because I, I, you know, since uh, George R. R. Martin, you know, fell into that that terrible writer's block that he's obviously trapped in. You just you don't see top class fantasy writing much nowadays, but. Um, <laughs> That piece in the eyes, mate. That was up there. That was that was Tolkien esque. I I will say, it, yeah, look, dear listener, you know I've linked to everything we're talking about here. We're we're talking all over the place, but the links here. This is fabulous. Simon Benson and Jeff Chambers in the Australian. Uh, they quoted all manner of his friends and contacts who said things like. Peter is surprising. Labor underestimates him at their peril. And there's this hard guy image, but he's an incredibly warm and engaging bloke. I think that will become evident over time. And not a single fucking one of these cunts would put their name to these comments. <laughs> like, there is not a single named source anywhere yeah. in this story. Like, I talk yeah. about how he hangs around and has barbecues with a bunch of old schoolmates who that's, keep him balanced. That's inspiring too, isn't it? I mean, a plumber, an Australian bloke. A few IT guys. Who has barbecues. A car fleet manager. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I tell you, I, I'm rethinking my vote earlier this year. If I had known that Peter Dutton was the sort of bloke who had friends and barbecues, I might well have gone differently in the ballot box. Well, Jonathan Green did note in the monthly, because he's filling in this week doing their little, the monthly has a daily political column. I, I, I don't know, Swartz Media, they just do this. Anyway, he, uh, Jonathan Green pointed out the revelation that opposition leader Peter Dutton has, quote, friends, unquote, was sufficiently startling for it, for it to make the front page of the national broadsheet. Yeah, this is and and what what a, what a bunch of friends too. Yeah, that uh, you know that bag of human hair from Sky News. He's a mate uh, apparently. Yeah, Paul um, Murray. Yeah. Uh, oh, Ray you Punchy mean Rowan Dean? No, no, no. The other one. Yeah, Murray. Murray. That Paul that Murray. One. Yeah. 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 Apparently, he's Ray a mate. Hadley from Two GB in Sydney. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gets around for a barbie. I could just – can you just imagine it? I mean, honestly, you get blokes like that together at a barbie on the weekend and I – to be honest, I don't know how you could not see Peter Dutton's softer side come out Like, because they talked a lot about this in the, the, the profile in the eyes that no one will put their name to, that he has this softer side. And uh, that's where I think you would see it if you got – 
Paul Murray, Ray Hadley, and uh, Dutz around a Barbie uh, with a beer on the Fox. weekend. And Lindsay oh, Fox. Oh yeah, the wokeness, mate. I just, uh, it, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm being cuddled from a distance just thinking about it. Well, Four Corners on the ABC also did a, a big profile of, of Dutton on on uh, on a Monday night, and they reminded us of this, uh, that it's important to remember that Peter Dutton has, in fact, been in Parliament for almost 21 years, and, you know, for some reason we haven't been aware of this warmer side. Peter Dutton's first speech left no one in doubt about his convictions. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It was a glimpse into his political future as the rookie MP took aim at some key targets. Mr Speaker, the silent majority, the, uh, the forgotten people or the aspirational voter of our generation, as some like to term it, are fed up with bodies like the Civil Liberties Council and the Refugee Action Collective and certainly the dictatorship of the trade union movement. What did that make you think? Well, it made me think that here is a police officer who's now entered Parliament who still carries the narrow-minded uh, uh, police worldview and indeed a narrow-minded minority police worldview uh, into politics. Now, you expect and hope that people, the longer that they're in Parliament, will change, will mature, will develop. Well, in relation to uh, law and order politics in relation to the narrow-minded police view of the world, unfortunately, Mr Dutton hasn't developed much at all. Now, that was Terry O'Gorman, Vice President of the Queensland Council of Civil Liberties. Uh, JB, you would be familiar with Mr O'Gorman over the I years. Um, Dutton's not a fan. No. How, how does this politics play out? We have already mem- uh, mentioned, I suppose... Uh, the Fitzgerald Inquiry, or its formal uh, title, the Commission of Inquiry into Possible Illegal Activities and Associated Police Misconduct. Mm. 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 I should say again very much that Peter Dutton was the first intake of co- new coppers after, after. the Fitzgerald right. Inquiry, and yep. he has said on the record, again I can't remember in which of these pieces, that these new guys were not trusted by the old Queensland cops. No. Well, you know, it all falls into place, doesn't it? You could, like this this goes some way to explaining he's, you know, he's gone in, he's had a look around, he doesn't like it. So he's got out. Gone into the building trade. Yeah. I can't say anymore. No, no. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to have to raise as much money as Shane Bazzi. <laughs> I think we can finish this quite happily. I mean, there's lots of jokes we can tell, um, but I I think we really should hear part of Peter Dutton's heartfelt tribute to the late Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II uh, in Parliament the other day, where after praising her views on family and her role in her own extended family, he said this. Yes, her own life, of course, was not without family controversies and tragedies. Her anus horribilis in 1992. Now, personally, uh, I'm not quite sure how much of a monarchist or not you are, JB. Uh, I'm not entirely sure who is the horrible asshole (laughs) 
but I'm fairly sure it's not Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm, really, I'm so sorry you, you played that clip because that's going to haunt me for days now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, thank you, yes, Gain Rainbow Anarchist, uh, for insisting uh, we speak about that. Uh, right, before we go any further, uh, I'm coming in here now during the edit to uh, say say a little bit more about Peter Dutton, uh, the fairly litigious Peter Dutton. Let's get all the facts right. Uh, he did work for the Queensland Police. He was with the drug squad in the early 1990s. He also worked in the sex offenders squad and with the National Crime Authority, which is now uh, the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission. And Dutton has said on record that it's from his time in the sex offenders squad that he uh, developed what he says is is uh, an urge to protect women and children, except basically if they're refugees, apparently. Um, he left the cops in 1999 at the rank of Detective Senior Constable and apparently this was prompted by a loss of confidence in his driving. He'd had a serious accident uh, while during a uh, covert surveillance operation during which he rolled his car while chasing an escaped pr uh, prisoner. Um, he suffered a lot of physical injuries during the accident and as a result was hospitalised briefly and bedridden for a week. He thought by the way I read that, that he just couldn't continue as a police officer. Now, his father's a builder uh, and, and his wife works in childcare and together they've made quite a bit of money by uh, getting hold of buildings and renovating them and turning them into childcare centres and flipping them. It's been quite a successful business. Um, now, we did mention uh, the Fitzgerald Inquiry, the Commission of Inquiry into Possible Illegal Activities and Associated Police Misconduct, which ran from 1987 to 1989. Yes, as I say, before uh, Peter Dutton uh, was in the police. Um, that was an amazing thing for those of us who were in the media at the time. That inquiry resulted in the resignation of the Premier, uh, the calling of two by-elections, three former ministers went to jail, the police commissioner went to jail, uh, and uh, the National Party at that point, which had had a 32-year run as the governing political party in Queensland, gone. It's an amazing thing, and if you really want to find out more about that, I discovered that the Four Corners episode, The Moonlight State, from 1987, uh, is online. I've linked to it. And also, if you do want to... Uh a little bit more about Peter Dutton. Uh, uh, Mr Birmingham did write in his Alien Side Boob column um, recently one titled Nuclear Powered Ask Coal. It's about Peter Dutton too. Anyway, yeah, uh, back to the back to the thing. Time already for some trigger words, JB. As regular listeners to the pod will know, uh, 
This, he says, waving an empty hand, but you can't see that, is the glass jar of transparency containing folded up pieces of paper. Each one contains words sent in by a supporter, etc. Blah, 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 trigger a conversation thingy, word script. But, as I said before, so many chosen, especially for you. I don't know what we're going to do with these. Alana Mitchell, over in Perth, Big Green Egg. Yeah, do you know what she's talking about? Only the finest piece of barbecue technology on the face of God's big green earth. Oh, big green egg is a thing. It's a thing, mate. It's it's oh. a barbecue. It's a ceramic barbecue, an egg, basically. It, it is literally a big green egg. And I, I must admit, I have one. I, okay. I, I, I have a I have a double XL big green egg. It yeah. is uh, like you, you could fit a whole baby elephants in there and uh, – and it, and it would be delicious at the end of it, and, so, and not at all tough. It's just a fancy Weber, though, or am I? Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> no. What have I said? No, it is not just a fancy Weber. No, it is. Uh, it's it's big and it's green for a start. No, no big green right. Webers around. They'd right, be in all right. sorts of legal trouble if they did that. But uh, yeah, look, true. it's 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 it's. Uh, I, I think originally it was some kind of Japanese gear or something. It's this giant fucking ceramic egg. <laughs> you're the, the ceramic of, you're is like of a jade egg, there, mate. Yeah, like it's yeah, I, it is. It's like a giant jade <laughs> egg, and it's it, it's it's super thick, or at least mine is, because mine's enormous. And you just you, you stick your charcoal in the bottom, and you you light the bastard up, and right. then you, you can, if you want, you can like absolutely scorch the shit out of a pizza at about 7,000 degrees Celsius or if you want to go down the other end, you can like you know, really sort of close off the vents up the top and down the bottom and and just maybe throw – I put a little bit of macadamia wood in mine for the smoke. You put the macadamia smoke in and then you put like a piece of pork or beef in and it just you cook it for about eight hours and you sit watching it obsessively for the, for the eight hours, sipping quietly <laughs> – on alcohol, and at the end of it, you get this, you know, rather nice meal comes out of it. It's it's very nice. Oh, oh, good. Because I had to wait forever for mine because uh, my my wife got it for me for uh, for Father's Day, but it was during the, the pandemic. I was I was just going to get a pizza oven. I, our old we we had a barbecue that was like a Weber in that it was a gigantic piece of crap that rusted out and fell apart. And right. I just I've had enough of this barbecue crap. I'm just all I want. All I want is a pizza oven. And so we went down to the barbecue shop and I was looking at like pizza oven options and my, my wife, which is the reason she is my wife, saw the big green thing. She said, why don't we get one of these? It's a very sensible and, one. Yeah, yeah. She said the look on my face. It was like, uh, really? <laughs> and then we, we parted with a... Uh, distressingly large amount of money. Um, oh, see, that was going to be my and, next question. And then we waited. Uh, uh-huh. We waited for the because the eggs. Uh, it, it's an American product. It's one of the uh, the few things besides violent insurrection they make in the US anymore. And so it, it had to sort of come over in the middle of the um, the pandemic in inspired supply chain crisis. So I ended up. I had I to round I up some Mexicans I, to make it first. Yeah, I, I waited about nine months for my egg 
And but I put the nine months to good use because um, I had nothing else to do. It was the pandemic, so I began uh. to to research uh, uh, cooking in the egg. And by the time the egg arrived, right. I I was actually uh, at least on paper uh, an an expert. Right. That's what we call ourselves, mate. Experts. 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 Bitcoin experts. Did you get it, mate? Yeah, I I got it. <laughs> it's yeah. good, isn't it? It's good. <laughs> it's really really good. Yeah, yeah. That was. <sighs> you can tell you're a father. Uh, thank you, Alana Mitchell, for that. Um, I'm still I, not uh, finished talking about big green eggs. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I, I still think, A, I didn't know about big green egg. B, I'm immediately thinking jade egg. And, um, of course, with my mind, um, um, it's straight away to the sex toy version. Right. The what? The jade egg. <laughs> just filing. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Just, maybe, maybe just move on to the second trigger word. All right. This is from... <laughs> Thanks, Alana. Uh, the next one's from Gavin Costello. It continues to be food-related for some reason. HP sauce. Ah, oh, mate. Yeah. One of the most popular the brown sauces from the uh, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Yep. The king of condiments. Oh, you're going that far. Yeah, it is the king of condiments. It actually, well, guys, it's, it's, it's got the Houses of Parliament on the bottle, but that's it is the HP king. HP stands for Houses of HP's, Parliament sauce. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. but it is. But it's not Worcestershire sauce. No, no Worcestershire no. is bullshit. It is a brown. Uh, so- oh, it that's it's bullshit. It's it, it, you put Worcestershire sauce in with other stuff. HP, you can drink HP from the bottle. It's that good, mate. You can drink bleach from the bottle. That doesn't mean it's something you should do. Yeah, but you wouldn't. <laughs> HP, however. Nice deep glug of that at the start of the day. It's good for what ails you. Gets you going. I got a mate in the US who loves it. He was uh, he, he was in the the, uh, the military, so he was posted all over the world, of course. And he, he frequently, because uh, uh, of his line of business, he frequently came in contact with uh, British military, and he, he developed a taste for HP, but he can't get it in the US. Oh, really? So yeah. So I have to. Well, the closest they would have is your kind of your generic barbecue sauce. Uh, Actually, I like take that back. A... I take that back. No, your kind of Southern American steakhouse. Yeah. Sauces. That, what they would call steak sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, it's no HP. So I, I every you know six months or so I go down to Woolies and uh, I get a big plastic bottle and I send it over to him. You're an enabler. Yeah. I'm just very quickly having a look to see what's in it. <laughs> According to the Wikipedia, HP sauce has a tomato base blended with malt vinegar and spirit vinegar, sugars, particularly molasses, glucose, fructose syrup, and sugar. So some of the sugar is sugar. Mm. Uh, dates, corn flour, rye flour, salt, spices, and I reckon the key is this final one, tamarind. Mm. That, yeah. that would be it. Um, so plenty of glutamates in that. Yeah, the best use of HP sauce, it's with a chip. The, the absolute – and this is how you know it's, it's, it's the gear, is that there's all sorts of things you can do with your HP sauce, obviously, but the best, the absolute best thing you can do is you get a hot chip, a single yeah. perfectly cooked hot chip, yeah. dip it into the HP sauce and you eat it on its own. 
and you just wow. you, you you just contemplate how well they go together. You can't do that with other sources. I I, I mean I'm I'm shocked you into silence, but because why why was I not aware of this the magnificence of what has just been proposed? Well, given the garbage you eat, yeah, it's very difficult to um, to imagine uh, why. Like I've seen your schnitzel. Okay, we're going to have to come to that next and come back to uh, Katrina. I'll be back with you in a moment. We, we've got a couple of more things to come back to in terms of trigger words, but in terms of another conversation topic, people really spent big this time. John Lawrence sent in the topic, people are judging my lunch. Now, the background, that's something I said on Wednesday when I happened to go to... Uh, one of the pubs up here in the Blue Mountains, the Alexandra Hotel, the Alex in Lura. Uh, and I, I had a schnitzel for lunch, a, a perfectly really ordinary chicken parmigiana. I don't uh, think you should be naming them. We're already in enough trouble for the Dutton thing. You're going to have uh, to edit most of that out. Uh, and now you're naming the people who pr- produce this horror schnitzel. This is not a horror schnitzel. Okay, dear listener, there is a full-colour photograph on the podcast website. In fact, I'm, I'm tempted to make it the main photo on the post rather than John Birmingham's face just because of this. Oh, knock yourself out. Yeah. Go for it. If you want to collapse your listenership. There is, on this plate, you will see it is a big chicken schnitzel, nice and big, big, Big slice of ham over the top. Then you got your mm. melted cheese and so on. You got a An bowl incredibly of, circular uh, slice of ham. Yeah, yeah perfect that's circle. Just, like Leonardo yeah, yeah. da Vinci couldn't have done that fucking ham any better. I don't reckon. That's right. I think that's you have to slice the pig just straight through in a vertical line. Just push a to, giant tin to, tube into him and pull it out. Yep. Excellent mushroom sauce in in the that's oh, the that's brown loop in the bowl. Yeah, no, yeah, I was wondering. it's actually really good, and a, and a salad at the side. Um, I don't think we need to talk about salad. That's you know, it's a salad. Now, people were objecting that this enormous schnitzel was on top of the chips. Yeah, and people good said reason. that was a crime against humanity. Yeah, it is because the Why? chips are all because the chips are going to go soggy. You, you Where else are you going to put them? You, you, I mean, you, that you that it, is like, a huge. Put him off to the side. You, that is you, already just, a huge plate, and the schnitzel well, covers. Well, get rid of the bullshit salad and put the chips there, because I, I saw those chips, but I felt sorry for those chips. I wouldn't be dipping those chips in my HP sauce. Well, I got mushroom sauce. Ugh! Again, another opportunity to create space to put your chips somewhere other than under the schnitzel, where they're getting steamed like. Fucking eyeless maggots in a Turkish bathhouse. Forget it. You can't. You can't do that to your chips. I, I, look, I could see the schnitzel itself. The schnitzel. Oh. Just, it, just take everything else away. The, 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 the curiously circular ham, the sort of uh, melted yellow crayon cheese, uh, the, the poor, poor chips. I, I, they looked like they started out like as quite decent chips, and then and they the were chips. they were abused. But the schnitzel, I will concede the schnitzel in and of itself, it looked it, it looked fine. And then stuff happened. Yeah, people started judging my food. You're judging yeah. my food. I'm judging your food. Are you damn right I am. 
I'm sure the schnitzel, it, it looked crispy. It looked golden. It, 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 was, it looked thick, so it would be juicy. It would not have dried yeah. out in the superheated yep. oil. That's all fine. It wasn't fine. a busy day. That's, it was a Wednesday lunchtime. Chef had time to have everything under control. And the chips under the schnitzel. I still don't see this as a crime. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. It, it, it's an abomination. It, it should never have happened. It should never happen again. They do a nice curry. The Nepalese guy in the kitchen does a fantastic curry. All right. Lamb well, curry. I'm sure. It, I'm sure it's fine. Does it's he really put good. the? Does he? Does he put the roti like under the curry? Does the roti come out all, all soggy no, under the curry? No, of course he side doesn't. Side plate. Yeah, exactly. Because he knows what he's doing. Chefs have knives, mate. I I learned a long time ago not to get yeah. too fucking critical of chefs because. They have knives. They never have enough sleep. There's a no. good chance they've got a fucking amphetamine habit. I watch the bear too. <laughs> I know about chefs. Uh, what they get up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any other opinions on what might constitute a food crime? Uh, fuck, let's have a think about that. Um, yes. Yeah, I do actually. It shits me. Uh, there's this thing where uh, cafes have started. Uh, it's actually related to the chip, uh, the, the, the chip thing, which is where you, you, your scrambled eggs come out, yeah. and they're sitting on top of the sourdough. Oh, yeah. And there's like you know a, a pat or a small container of butter off to the side. What, mm. what is the fucking point? What is the fucking point? You've ruined the sourdough for buttering by putting the eggs on top. Uh, There's no buttering that sourdough. It's it's as soggy as your fucking soggy schnitzel chips. Uh, that, that it just, well, no, oh, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because you need to put, if you're going to put the eggs on top of the toast, the toast needs to be buttered first. And <laughs> I, I, I went to one place. Then you, you put your well, toast, no, no, you, put you the your eggs, eggs on top, on and then top. they put the butter on top of the eggs. No, no. The they got like hot three eggs inches of melt scrambled the butter eggs between the, the butter and the toast. If you're gonna, yeah. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Like the, you know, the the the, the butter was going to somehow run down through the eggs and and lightly butter the the toast, which was re- going to retain its crisp. Because this is the thing, like you're not eating the you know, but sourdough is pretty good. Hundred grams of sourdough is going to give you five or six grams of protein, but that's not why you're eating it. Okay, you're eating it for textural contrast, but you're not getting any fucking textural contrast when you, you, your sourdough is buried under your eggs and, and, and basically, you know, wet as fuck by the time it turns up to the table. I mean, I thought we might just be going down the pathway of, you know, it's terrible to overcook a steak, um, you know, iceberg lettuce is is largely pointless, Avocado is the devil's slime fruit. Iceberg lettuce, iceberg lettuce is fine if you were using it to make uh, sanchoy bao, or uh, or what, or or, or, you know, for the for the sake of just being funny, just one of those ridiculous uh, fucking like bunless uh, burgers. They 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 need that, that. That's that's the sort of you know that's the bogan sanchoy bow as a bunless bunless burger made with uh, 
you slice a lettuce. lettuce heart in half and stick a beef patty between. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's health food. Yeah. Logan health food. It is. Yeah, still concerning. Avocado's got to go. I I won't I won't go into that because I've already um, spoken at length about the devil's slime fruit on a number of occasions. People people know my my feelings it's on that. It's got a lot of fiber. It's good for it's good Mate, for your so's fiber. So's a doormat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's, it doesn't cook up real well. I learned that in share housing. The doormat. No. 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 Uh, no, that yeah, that that that's more of a, a sort of a, a raw whole food situation. The doormat. No, right. the um, uh, no avocado just doesn't cook real well. It it goes just from slime to warm slime, really. Yeah, it's it a bit it does. brown. Yeah, look, I, and I know people want to say, um, you know, guacamole or something like that, but that's why they invented fucking tequila to get rid of the taste of the avocado. It doesn't no. really have a taste. Well, it has a yeah, mouthfeel. So yeah. It has slime. Yeah. The mouthfeel is slime. What's that stuff you get just slightly firmer slime, and everyone loves custard. You love custard, don't you? Uh, yeah. I, I haven't had it for a while. I mean, you know, I certainly have no negative opinions about custard. Not warm custard, not fresh custard. There's a great place in uh, in Brissy, and you. I've given you some good steers for, you for have. food in Brisbane. There is you a have. place in Brisbane that is a specialty uh, Portuguese custard tart place. Oh, it's all it does. Right, and they're fucking expensive, but they're worth it. It's it, it, so fact, we're, you, we're talking about expensive Portuguese tarts still in the context of food. Yeah. Okay, good. So, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you go to this place and you order a tart. You think, Jesus fucking Christ, that's expensive. And then you eat it and uh. Uh, and you just you order another one immediately, which you can't actually finish because they're so rich. But, um, very much but a share, you know, custard, custard is basically the sort of firm yellow cousin of, of avocado as far as mouthfeel goes. I mean, it's, it's, it tastes nicer, sure, I'll admit that. But yeah. it, 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 in terms of, like, you know, in the mouth, it's the same. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Fucking creepy jade egg motherfucker. <laughs> Don't ruin custard for me. If you would like one of those enormous Portuguese tarts, <laughs> the place to go is in South Brisbane. It's called Lisboa Cafe, L-I-S-B-O-A Cafe, which describes itself as a small batch artisan Portuguese bakery that specialises in gourmet tarts. Go check it out when you're in Brisbane. Um, while I'm interrupting uh, the flow, I'll, I'll do the housekeeping. Uh, don't forget, further down the track, probably the last week of October, we've got David F. Porteous joining us uh, from Edinburgh. Uh, we'll talk about things happening in the UK. Uh, and I'll tell you more about uh, the other Spring Series guests uh, as we lock them in. Watch your email if you're an email person that I email to with emails. Uh, the podcast, as you know, uh, is made possible by you, the generous listener, and just listen to this episode to hear the kind of episodes you make possible by 
buying trigger words and conversation topics. Uh, thanks to John Lawrence. You've already heard uh, his name mentioned. He purchased an Edict 03 Cheeky Red subscription, and that's uh, what got him a conversation topic. Thank you, John. I hope you appreciated that. Uh, thanks also this episode to Andrew McKenzie, Annabelle Asprey, who says, don't fuck it up. Annabelle, would I ever fuck it up? And someone who chooses to remain anonymous did, but did say, this is what they said in their uh, notes uh, when they made the contribution, you should add a $1,000 tier for your rich bastard supporters who've had a boozy lunch and think still does great work. Or perhaps that's just me. Uh, well, it may not be just you, an anonymous person. Uh, I mean, you are a rich bastard, uh, to be fair. And uh, now I'm wishing I did have a $1,000 tier just sitting there because if you had had that boozy lunch and you said, oh, yeah, fuck it, 1000 bucks, I wouldn't have said no. But thank you for your contribution. I may uh, rework some of those things um, next month. Well, this month, it's already October, good heavens. And uh, I will say I'm going to go through this month and audit all of the trigger words and conversation topics and exactly what I owe whom and where, which ones they've already burned off and so on. May rejig things a bit. Um, if you want to send $1,000, I should just say, if you go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip, apart from that kind of one PayPal thing, they're all quite open. You can, you can send me as much money as you like. I, I won't mind. Thank you this episode, of course, to uh, everyone who contributed to the Spring Series crowdfunding campaign. You make these special guest episodes possible. Uh, this time, I'd like to thank uh, the people who bought one trigger word, which is the most common thing to do, um, most popular thing to do in those possible crowdfunding campaigns. Thank you to Andrew Groom, Bick Smith, Bick Smith again for some reason, Bruce Hardy, Alana Mitchell, you've already had your uh, trigger word with the big green egg, haven't you? Uh, Errol Cavett, Frank Filipponi, Gavin Costello, who, who has just had his as well, Joanna Forbes, John Lindsay, Jonathan Ferguson, Jonathan Ferguson again for some reason, Yoop DeVitt, hi Yoop, Carl Sinclair, Katrina Zetti, Mark Newton, Matthew Moylecroft, Michael Cowley, Miriam Mulcahy, Oliver Townsend, Paul Williams, Peter Blakely, Peter McCrudden, Rick Heyman, Rowan Pierce. Hi, Rowan. Sil Mobile, you didn't get your trigger word in. You said you might get one for JB, but you didn't, did you? Uh, and four people who choose to remain anonymous in that campaign, thank you all very much. If you would like to join those people, the 9pmedic.com slash tip. That's the 9pmedic.com slash tip. We're still not through these fucking trigger words, JB. <laughs> Just too many of them. Katrina Jetty says sparkles. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Uh, the, the thing that I find interesting about sparkles is the mystery. You often find, well, I do anyway, that I, I often see people with sparkles on their faces. So we're talking glittery things. Yeah, 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 yeah glittery things. Yeah. I, I don't know how they got there. It's like, you know, because you, it's not like, you know, it's not like you're, you're out in a club or something, because, you know, because I don't, I'm an old white man, but 
Uh, it's like places where sparkles shouldn't be, oh, and there are sparkles. And I've often wondered how they got there and what their purpose is. Where are they sort of are they forgotten sparkles from a big night out, maybe like as much as a week or so earlier? Or are they sort of, uh, I guess, ambient sparkles, which are just in the ether and have attached? I've found sparkles on myself. I, I have been, you know, doing my uh, ablutions and, and tending to my bute, uh routine, and there are fucking sparkles. And I have no idea where, where they've come How? from. How? What? On my, on my face, my pretty, pretty face, and it's got like, fucking sparkle. Where did this come from? I don't know. I don't and have sparkles kids in the house. Are like virtually adults now. They're certainly not yeah. no, going no, through we, we, sparkles and glitter, glitter at school. We're, yeah. we're gone. We, we, we've left that behind. Um, well, that's what I mean. Any parent of a my, three or four year old is used to this. Oh, yeah, sort look, of they're everywhere. Fallout layer of these yeah, shiny, yeah, glittery yeah, things through the yeah, house. I, you, you reminded me of the time I came into the kitchen in Canberra, actually. I was living near here at the time. And uh, there'd been a, you know, there'd been a glitter accident. Uh, in the mm-hmm. kitchen where dinner was getting prepped and the bloody the, the chicken had been sparkled. You, well, you don't want to eat them. No. They're, they're tiny, but they have these little sharp edges and yeah. they can lodge in crevices in your stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. Not an um, insignificant you know. amount of plutonium in sparkles either, which is, you know, where the sparkle itself comes from. You just made that up. On the internet, I do not think so. <laughs> Have you seen the the guy who makes glitter bombs to deter people thieving packages from his front yes. porch? Yes, yes, I have. I love those videos. Now, I, for those of you who haven't, I, I will, of course, link to them. You know I link to these things. So this guy got sick of, you know, he works from home. He has lots of, lots of deliveries. He's a bit of a geek, so he has technical delivery. He's yeah. actually a literal rocket scientist. He's an engineer yep. at NASA. And so he said, right, you fuckers. Well, he wouldn't have said that because he's American. He would have said something more polite. But the idea is, yeah, 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 that I'm going to find out who's stealing these things and and make you pay. So these boxes, I haven't seen some of the later ones, but the original ones, they had three or four cell phones in them so that he's mm. got location tracking and 360-degree video when the thing goes off. And a, a little motor which spins up a centrifuge to flow out this cloud of <laughs> glitter so yeah. that literally if anyone steals this thing from his porch and takes it home and opens it up, it will explode in their face in a huge cloud of glitter while uploading video of the whole yeah. event. In slow mo, yeah. yeah, it's good, and they're magical. Yeah, I, I I saw my first one a couple of years ago, and uh, I, yeah, that, that's one of my favourite genres of um, video, along with uh, you know dogs looking quizzical. It's ah, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where. If I'd had a mainstream radio program, I'm at about the right age now to progress on to doing a clips show on TV. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just, here's just the shit I found on the internet this week. Yeah. And you can pay me sort of $8,000 a week to do that. Do they, do they still exist, those those shows? I, I haven't watched Free to Air in, in, in years. 
Uh, um, I, I, isn't it all just? Isn't it all reality now? Like they like just they they grab random people off the street and force them to marry and. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite and, sure you know, that how plays it out over fucking oh. twelve weeks or something. I I, I, don't I, think I, they I, I haven't watched them at it. Random. Yeah, yeah, just grab them. You know, you you two, you're getting married. Come on, give us some shenanigans. Which reminds you, do you remember, and this is really two old farts talking, do you remember that guy from <laughs> Triple M? Are you, was, are you suggesting? Doug Mulray, was that his name? Doug Mulray, yeah. Doug Mulray, yeah, and they, he was great, supposed a gra- to. Well, a great Australian radio presenter, I'll say great Australian radio presenter in the sense that he was high rating, particularly during the 1980s. Mm. Uh, when FM radio stations were selling for tens of millions of dollars each, and there's no way they made that much money, but it was the 80s. Yeah. But Doug Mulray was one of Doug the Mulray, princes. Yeah. yeah, and I think didn't – what happened? Because he – like he finished up on Triple M and he was supposed to do something on Channel 9 and didn't – like Kerry Packer was alive and saw it and actually pulled the plug in the middle of the show. Oh, yeah. It, it yeah, was yeah, so yeah. bad. Was that a the clip show, show? I'm across this. The show was called Australia's Naughtiest Home Videos. Ah, uh, yep. So yep, it yep. was a video clip thing, and he started and did the first thing, and they did the first segment, and in the very first ad break, Kerry Packer, the late great Joanna himself, who owned the Nine Network, phoned in and basically said, get this fucking shit off my television. Yeah. And it was – it's like the Australian TV show which didn't even last past its first commercial (laughs) break. Not cancelled after one episode. No. Cancelled after one segment because it was just (laughs) – Crass. I think even uh, I think even Mick Malloy made it through to the end of his first episode, didn't he? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, they, I still they... recall the the look on his face. That I would have called it exhausted horror. He <laughs> 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 realised what he got sto- himself into. The stories of Kerry Packer uh, being hands on with his management of Nine are, are legendary. There was another one where I can't remember what the live show was. But it was going badly. It was fucking up. I can't remember what it was. And whichever technician up in the video switching area suddenly felt this presence behind him and it was the full bulk of Kerry Packer in person. And he said something along the lines of, don't mind me, son. It's just that we're currently broadcasting the biggest fuck-up in Australian television history and I want to watch it up close. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so that would calm your nerves, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Anyway, th- th- this is obviously all related to sparkles. <laughs> Thank you, Katrina. Yeah. yeah. Life Leap. Let's change topic. One final trigger word where we're nearly at the end, JB. From Peter W., the trigger word is truss. Obviously, he means, well, we could hijack this, but I've prepared it up for it to mean Liz Truss. If you want to talk about Mm. your athletic supporter, then that's another segment. Um, And in particular, I think we should talk about, I'm taking over here what the trigger word is, uh, 
the hashtags in the last 24 hours have been trust a fuck, which I quite <laughs> like. It's good. And thick Lizzie, as opposed to the band Thin Lizzie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for those of you not across the news, and I know, well, the UK economy is just tanking, basically. Inflation's through the roof. Uh, they had a mini budget last week in the UK, and the pound just plummeted as a result. So that was well received. Well, on Thursday morning, UK time, Liz Truss, uh, sorry, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, she did a thing because the Tory party annual conference is coming up and there's a – ritual's too strong, but there's a, a tradition uh, that uh, the, the head of the, the Tories does a whole bunch of local radio stations around the UK. Get out of the London bubble, you know, see what local people want. So she did the rounds of eight BBC local radio stations – uh, obviously under the impression, well, they're yokels, we'll just get easy questions. Um, it did not go well. Mm. I'm going to play just one grab. This is from uh, her time uh, on BBC Bristol with James Hansen. From this weekend, the energy bill price guarantee comes in, so people will be facing no more than £2,500 for a typical energy bill. We've also taken action to reduce our tax burden and spur. Yeah, but Pro- Prime Minister, with project, respect, that so is we the get same scripted answer you've given going. to every BBC local radio station this morning. You've got the Bank of England stepping in now to try and clean up a mess a government has caused. That has never happened. We have a very, very difficult economic global situation because of the war that Vladimir Putin has perpetrated in Ukraine. And countries are under pressure around yeah, but the world, but this isn't Putin. This isn't just about Putin. I mean, your Chancellor on Friday opened up the stable door and spooked the horses so much you can almost see the economy being dragged behind them. This is about Putin and the war in Ukraine. That is why we so are So the Bank of England's intervention yesterday prices. was the fault of Vladimir Putin, was it? What I'm saying is it's very difficult and stormy times in the international markets... And of course, the Bank of England is independent. It takes the action it needs to take. And it is responsible for interest rates and it is responsible for financial stability. But it is right that the government took action to deal with people. Uh, yeah, she goes on right and on and on. As uh, James Hansen said, obviously, it's the same scripted answers that she had. Mm. But to hear all eight spots end-to-end in this one-hour radio special, which has been assembled, at one le- it's a hell of a thing to listen to. At one level, like, it's cruel, right? But it's self-inflicted. She is fucking it up so comprehensively. I'm here for it. She thinks that talking about these, these Westminster talking points will be okay on local radio. But another level, you can hear her will to live draining because they they do them in the order they were and she has no idea how to answer. And I thought, I I feel a bit like I'm just here stabbing a deformed kitten. She's she's gone. Uh, is she? Is she really? I mean I'm I'm not I'm not really invested in, in British politics, but uh they, it seems to be at a point of exhaustion. Like mm. I, I suspect that if you, if you want to sort of step back, 
the the sort of the free market experiment that was begun in the sort of what was it mid late 1970s early 1980s yeah, yeah. That, Reaganomics in the US and, uh, and Margaret Thatcher Thatcher's and, uh, in the UK she got it yeah. in what 79 yeah so that that's like 40 50 years like that's that's a long long arc um for a particular type of politics to, to and like economic theory to play itself out, and you know, I'm not an economist. I've never really studied it. Um, I, you know, I have a sort of lay person's understanding of the uh, the the issues of the time, and you know, our economies were sclerotic, and they'd taken some big hits from the uh, uh, the oil crisis, and the post-war boom was definitely over, and um, the UK in particular uh, had issues with this massive welfare state that, that it had built up. So, you know, uh, arguably something had to, to change and something had to happen and that was what happened. And, you know, some people got very, very rich out of it and some people got fucked up and you know, a lot of people got fucked up out of it. And, but the... It did change. It actually it changed the dynamics of the system, um, and that you know change in a sense is is renewal. That was fucking forty fifty years ago, and I suspect what's happened is that the 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 energy that came from that that renewal has played itself out, and you're now at the. Uh, the sort of the bitter end of it and the, the, the sort of people you see working the system are the bitter enders. You know, they're, they're not the sort of, um, you know, they're not the people who cut the path. They're not the messianic leaders. You know, they're, they're not the inspirational figures of the first wave. Um, they're, the, they're, uh, they're the sort of, you know, the burnt ends and, Looking at her and and that guy she's got at her as her chancellor, they just they don't seem to have a fucking clue. Um, you know they've just they've they've run their politics similar in a way to run ours, and certainly the yeah. way the US has run theirs, um, which is all you know tax cuts for rich people and a kick in the face for everybody else, and and that's you know. That's the formula. That's what's worked for us for, for 40 or 50 years. And I don't, you know, probably, maybe it doesn't work anymore. Maybe they need something new. But she's not going to be the one to deliver it. Well, no. And, and if you are ever brave enough to listen to the whole hour there, she's got her phrases about get Britain moving without any yeah. sense of to where, in which direction, and get us working and we, we need to become a nation of high-paying jobs. And and then you can hear these presenters in places like Bristol and Stoke and yeah. Leeds going, so, right. so which high paid jobs are we getting here? Yeah, this you know yeah. what oh, what no, are our just... high paid jobs going to? And more to the point, as we've just heard from Barry at the food bank or whatever, um, how's how's he feeding his family next week? Not in yeah. a year's time, next week, uh, and all of that. It's it's the disconnect is amazing. I said on this podcast the other day, the other week, whenever it was, that she likes to see herself as a Thatcher light, you know, Thatcher but without that that raw eroticism. But when you listen to one of Thatcher's speeches about renewing Britain 
and one of Liz Truss's speeches. It's mm. chalk and cheese. One thing at the, about Thatcher, as I understand it, was that she was a radical, um, uh, I guess you would call it reformer. Uh, yeah. We, you know, re- reform tends to sort of have positive vibes and there was a lot of negatives <laughs> associated with what she did. But, uh, but she, you know, she took a system that had one form and she turned it into another. Ipso facto, she was a fucking reformer. One of the things that she hated um, was the, you know, the landed gentry, inherited privilege, yes. you know, the city, the the fucking, you know, the, 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 the pinstripe set. She, she hated, like, she herself was like petty bourgeoisie. She was like yeah, lower middle class. And, and that, what that means is she spent her entire fucking life being talked down to by those people, being underestimated, being treated like shit. And mm. so when she had an opportunity to start smashing the fucking joint up, you know, we tend to think of that in terms of, you know, the printer's unions and, you know, those fucking scenes out. It was a whopping or something with, yep. you know, Murdoch, like, you know, pushing her on. Um, but she also, like, you know, she smashed a lot of inherited privilege, um, mm. you know, people who could look forward to reasonably idle lives simply because of, you know, their lineage going back a thousand years or so um, suddenly had to compete in a free market and, and I suspect that you know that that did it. If you look back at the economic history of it, it, it you know it fucked up a lot of people. It made a lot of other people wealthy, or sorry, it made a couple of people wealthy, I guess. Uh, but it did revitalize those economies, which were you know in in a shocking fucking state at the end of the the nineteen seventies. And um, I just my my gut feeling, and this is you know I don't have an economics degree, so you know I'm talking through my ass really, but my my feeling. Is that it's it's played out? It's something I've noticed looking back at British television of the period. You look at Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister in particular, the great political satires of the nineteen seventies. Everything is grey and brown. Everything mm. is drab. There's never enough money for anything. It's the yeah. cl- decline of the empire. Um, and it's all that established. Sir Humphrey's in charge. He's the permanent civil servant, uh, and and so on. You look at the spy dramas of the time, and we're talking here. Uh, John Le Carre's Smiley's Tinker people. Tinker Taylor. Oh yeah, that that's right. Uh, Tinker Taylor, soldier spy first, and then Smiley's people. Oh my god! Like you can watch that series. I think it's on Stan. It's it's either Stan yeah. or Netflix. You can get those. Uh, uh, those early um, George Smiley series, and the thing that strikes me, because I, I watched them recently, I, I read Lacar's books after he after he died. I thought I've never read those books. I'll read them, and they're great, obviously. Um, but then I thought oh, I'm going to have a look at the the TV series too, because mm. I recall my parents watching. I think it was Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. And, like, they were raving about it. Everyone was raving about it. Because at the time, it was kind of revolutionary TV. And I, I, I watched it and everything's just so fucking squalid yeah. and, and run down and broken and, and grey and grim and ugh, it's terrible. It, it, it is. It, it's, you know, you, you've got to remember that Britain did, in fact, lose World War II. They just didn't surrender. And they, they mm. just, 
you know, mortgaged themselves up to the hilt. It's only a few years ago that Britain finished paying off its war debt. Yeah. We've we've presented a pretty bleak view of Britain there. Um Yeah. Will I get well, it's any pretty better? bleak place? We've got an election uh, when, next year. Ah, uh, look, I don't know. It's I I I I don't know much about the Labour Party in the UK. I, I get the impression like they got a lot of nuts in them. Um Yeah. <laughs> British like, politics, right? Yeah, I, I expect that's right. I think you know the conservatives are just like you know thugs and thieves, and the 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 AL, sorry, the AOP, the the British Labor Party are. Um, I, I suspect they're a bit nutty. Well, I think that is enough about Britain for this time. As I said, David Porteous is coming on in a couple of weeks on the on the on the on on the stream from Edinburgh. So he'll have a view. He always has a view. Ukraine's president has vowed to claim back all of his country. He's issued a dire warning to Russians being conscripted by Vladimir Putin to fight, but they face being arrested at home and abroad if they don't. Heated protests have erupted in some of Russia's ethnic minority regions over the government's mobilization order and the war in Ukraine. Now, the video from the capital, predominantly Muslim region of Dagestan, about a thousand miles from Moscow, shows women arguing with police and questioning why their children are being drafted. In other confrontations, police responded with force. Arrests have been reported. And this video, the one you see there, shows officers, you can clearly see it, aggressively pushing back anti-draft demonstrators. President Vladimir Putin will formally annex four partially Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine on Friday, a move already rejected by Kyiv and its Western allies. Kremlin has said a ceremony to mark the incorporation of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, Zaporozhye into Russia will take place at 3 p.m. Moscow time. And today as we record this, uh, the United States has uh, issued a very straightforward statement about how what Russia is doing is is illegal and is and invalid and a whole lot of things. And a think tank in Washington reckons that Ukraine's army is continuing to advance around a city by the name of Lyman in the northeast. It's about 160 kilometres southeast of Kharkiv. For those of you following this on a map or with knowledge of World War II, that, that's another whole creepy fucking parallel. Uh, but Kharkiv's Ukraine's second largest city, the city of Lyman, uh, is a key node in the, the kind of logistics network in that region. Last I looked at the map, uh, the pincers were closing around the Russian forces there and the gap was only about two kilometres left. Yeah. So Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look like that's going to go well for them. Um, no. Yeah, it's. I read a couple of interesting pieces about um, Russia this week, and and the way that, uh, uh, well, Putin mostly, but it, but in some sense, you know, the Russian state system views what's happening very obviously very differently from us. But mm. we tend to, uh, you know, reasonably, I guess, think of Ukraine as a, a regional conflict with global implications. Uh, so you right. know, a, a big power invaded a small power, and you know it's 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 terrible. It's war in Europe, and it's spinning off 
problems all over the globe with uh, you know food supplies, energy supplies, whatever. Mm. And that's you know Liz that Truss's is a conventional. Figures, you know, yeah, or, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. In a sense, what she—I mean, you know, she's a fucking idiot. But, but what she's doing is is just spouting conventional wisdom. If right. you actually go back and read everything that Putin has written and said about not just Ukraine, but about the um, the, the breakdown of the bipolar world and the sort of increasing chaos of a multipolar world and the end of Western. Uh, hegemony, uh, what you start to see is that they perceive Ukraine, or sorry, and this, this is where it gets really fucking difficult. He certainly um, perceives Ukraine, and so, you know, the Russians thus perceive Ukraine as um, really just one element of a global conflict which has been running for 20 years and has erupted into a, a, a military form in Ukraine. But as far as they're concerned, um, and this isn't, you know, I'm not talking about fucking, you know, they're, they're nutty fucking state TV presenters who, who do provide such glorious service on you know uh, those youtube <laughs> clip shows um, uh, um their philosophy of what's happening is very different from ours their philosophy is that a hegemonic system which is you know the, the system that we benefited from for 500 years is breaking down and um they are at the forefront of stressing that system and degrading it so that uh, other other nation states and other movements and other peoples in the world uh, can benefit from the the end of Western control. I mean, you know, and you're looking at it, well, it just sounds like fucking bullshit. But when you look at it like that, you start to see what's happening in Ukraine or rather what might happen in Ukraine in the next couple of weeks very, very differently. That starts to echo the downfall of of Western Christendom and power worldview that the likes of Tony Abbott and yeah, yeah, the International yeah. no, Democratic right, yeah. Union have. Yeah, they do. I don't buy into it. And is it just the flip side of that mindset? Look, I don't, I don't know because I, I, what I can't disentangle in my own mind is how much of it is just ass covering um, – because, you know, they rolled in there with 198 battalion tactical groups and they thought they were, you know, they, they had shiny oh. uniforms yep. for a victory Even parade three days hours. later on. They, yeah. they, they obviously had, uh, you know, they did not understand what they were doing. They did not understand uh, what they were getting into. And it turns out that, you know, this, you know, their much vaunted military wasn't really worth vaunting very much. Uh, and I, whether it's because I'm sort of stuck in my own paradigm, I, I, I tend to just default to the, the the standard Western understanding of it, which is that it is a regional conflict with uh, global ramifications. But if this fuckwit actually sees himself as, you know, the hero of the oppressed peoples um, and, 
you know, he's he he actually thinks he's fighting the good fight. It's really really hard to believe that's true. But if he does, then this sort of like mad desperate ploy of de- like annexing the areas he doesn't even control, and in the case of like you know Lyman in the Donbass, I think is about to get fucking kicked out of in spectacular fashion. Wow. Um, it does uh, raise the prospect that he will just keep escalating and escalating and escalating until, you know, he decides to start tossing nukes over there. Uh, I, knew, I knew that was going to be the next word, the N word in mm. this context, the nukes. Is he that mad? Um, I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know. He's... Is he a rational actor? Yes, he is a rational actor. Uh, does that mean he made rational decisions? No, it doesn't. You can be a rational actor and make irrational decisions. Well, I also want to throw into the pot there the concept uh, in nuclear strategy of the madman strategy, which is a Nixon thing, yes. where to keep the other side on the edge and not sure what you're going to do next, you create the perception that you are just mad enough to do anything. Yeah. And it's the Madman strategy. It was deliberately part of Nixon's strategy uh, against the Soviet Union back in the day. Could Vlad be doing a Madman strategy here? Well, his, yeah, his, uh, he has, like, you know, he has a number of goals, short-term, long-term, medium-term. Um, his, at, at the moment, his his short term goal is to not get owned in Ukraine, and yeah. you know they're very close to getting owned. So yeah. you know he's gathering up. You know we we say three hundred thousand. It could be as many as a million guys, and just throwing them in there. And again, it's really really hard to know whether or not the reports that we see are giving us an accurate picture of what's happening. So, you know, the reports we tend to see are of people our age, you know, blokes in their 50s with fucking, you know, pot bellies and receding Yes, we're definitely in our 50s. (laughs) But, yeah. You may be in your your 40s, but I'm definitely (laughs) in my 50s. Sorry, yes, yes, just to be clear, yeah. We're seeing Dad's army. We're seeing Dad's army being rounded up, handed a World War II rifle. And, you know, we see those reports because, you know, one, that information is coming in, but two, you know, it's clickworthy. You know, I'll click on those yeah. reports when I see that, and it suits it suits our narrative. And so it gets, you know, it gets run. It's not a bunch of editors sitting around going, oh, we've got to make things difficult for Vlad. Let's do the old guy stories. It's just the old guy story comes in. They go, oh, this is fucking great. Run this. Yeah. And so – you know, that's, and that's like the footage in happening. that story, we see a whole lot of, you know, mothers and grandmothers in Dagestan yeah. wondering why their fucking kids are being dragged off to Ukraine, which they may not even have heard of. Yeah, um, and then you get the oh, you get the phone cool. cam of video of the, you know, the lady Russian drill sergeant telling them, you know, we've got uniforms and we've got armour and that's all we've got. Ask your girlfriends for tampons. You're going to put them in the bullet holes when you get to Ukraine. And again, great fucking stories, like, yeah. you know, because they suit our narrative. Is it an accurate reflection of what's happening? It could be. But his initial, like, his, his, his short term goal is to not be humiliated in the next two weeks 
by another Hesson, like offensive, like yeah. pushing them back over the, the river, taken Lyman. And so, you know, you're starting to see um you're starting to see these guys who have been drafted in the last week captured right. by Ukraine. And of course Ukraine's using them for uh for their own propaganda and PR purposes. They will, you know, they'll take a, a, a video from calling their wives, yeah, I've been captured, it's all right, I'm alive and and you know, yeah. you find out they were drafted. So, if if, if it's true that technically these guys that's against the uh, Geneva Convention, by the way, people using prisoners of that's war terrible. It's just for terrible. interrogating um, propaganda purposes is. But if it is the case that all right, all right, JB, come on, let's go through the Geneva Convention now. Which bits are you in favour of, and which bit are yeah, nah, let it rip. The, the bits that suit me, mate. Yeah, um, that's the so the approach. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. You know, is it the case that one bloke has turned up a little early um, and he's made good videos so we know about him? Or is it that, you know, tens of thousands of these guys are now pouring into his US? We just don't know. But to go back to your 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 question, is this guy nutty enough to do this? Um, yeah, he's not nutty at all. He's fucking desperate. So, you know, mm. he's got short-term goals. Don't get owned in the next two weeks. He's got medium-term goals, break the will of the US and Europe to keep supporting them. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll blow up those those pipelines. Like, they're not, there's, there's, there's not much Stream. in they them. Just, Nord Stream. They just blow up. Yeah. So his medium goal is to basically try and break the will of the, I think it's like 40 countries who are supporting Ukraine. And if he can do that, then, that's including people like us, Australia, by the way. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so, you know, break the will so that maybe two to three years from now he can finally, like, you know, roll the first tank guards army up to the borders of Poland um, and take a deep fucking breath. And then he's got, you know, his long-term uh, goal is, who fucking knows, Ruski Mir, I, I, I don't know, um, Take him at his word. Yeah, yeah. He wants to restore the greatness of the Russian Empire in some, in whatever form that takes in his head. Yeah. Could, like, is he nutty enough to toss them over? No, I don't think he's fucking nutty at all. I think he's desperate. I think he's a rational actor who is desperate. Um, just lobbying a couple of battlefield nukes somewhere. It's, it's not as easy as you imagine. They haven't tested these things properly in years. Mm. He, you know, I, I doubt he would do something like, you know, say, oh, we're going to set off a nuke on Snake Island uh, or even not warn, just like, you know, fire one over there. There's a very good chance it wouldn't go off um, or, you know, the missile would fall into the sea halfway. I saw a thing, yeah, people worried, oh, what about all the, the nukes that you know, were they all accounted for at the end of the uh, the Cold War? And I go, guys, that was 30 years ago. These things need regular maintenance. Are their batteries topped yep. up? Is the uh, tritium gas at the right pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. 30-year-old nukes don't work. 10-year-old nukes don't work unless they're maintained. And no, we have right. seen such glorious maintenance on things like their trucks. That haven't had their yeah, engines they, turned over in that's right. five they years. They can't change the tire on a fucking two-ton truck. You know, it's you've got to think that there's a pretty fair chance that you know the the nukes are getting a bit rusty too. So that doesn't mean you know he wouldn't use them. He might go, 
well, if you're not sure one is going to work, send 10. Yeah. You know, that might be the, the path you take. So, Well, that's how the maths work because back in the 1960s under PSYOP, the single, the single integrated operational plan for the Cold War, for Armageddon, Moscow alone was targeted with something like 87 nuclear warheads. Yeah. To roll the maths, will they get through? What's the fail rate? What's the intercept rate? How many bombers yeah. will be shot down? So, look, it, it all, you know, when you step back and say, what are you guys actually talking about? It's insanity. You're talking about, you know, the, the end of life on the planet, um, you know, 40 or 50 years earlier than, than climate change will do it. But uh, well, I'm all for efficiency. Is he, he, is he capable of making what to him seems a rational decision to escalate with those weapons yes he is because you know into his mind it's like well you know i've got i've got five thousand of these things in the the cupboard over there and you know yeah sure if i sent one and it didn't work it'd be embarrassing so i send 10 what are they going to do yeah are you going to start a nuclear war like i'll do that i've just proved i'll do that are you going to fucking do that like it's uh, well, that's the whole it, thing. Is deterrence only works if it's very clear to both sides that you will fucking press that button? Yeah, like people. There's this other line of thinking that he really, you know, what he really wants is a fight with NATO in the US. No, he fucking doesn't. You know, I, I think he's learned that he can't win that fight. Like he can't win that fight with a busted ass country like Ukraine using the bloody B and C list weapons out of the NATO locker. He, he can't win that fight. So he doesn't want it, but what he wants is to frame this, you know, this shit show that he started as a fight with NATO in the US. But anyway, look. Because that insoluble. gives him the, the face saving, well, they ganged up on me. Look at yeah. these terrible Westerners, they ganged up on me. Wasn't fair. It's not fair. I think the most likely outcome is that, you know, uh, somebody in the FSB gets close enough to him to kill him. Uh, mm. And that, that's the best possible outcome at this point. Um, the worst outcome is that he makes a rational decision that, you know, using a couple of battlefield nuclear weapons is, is a smart play because, um, you know, any, anything can happen after that. Uh, and look, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. No one knows where it's going. No one knows mm. anything. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the best happy ending we're going to get, isn't it? No one yeah, knows anything. So. We're yeah. we've no idea. I I can't even think of a segue to something cheerful to finish on. Really. So enjoy Canberra. And, yeah, I will. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, good. It's a lovely city. Thank you very much for your time. John Birmingham. <sighs> yeah, I do this to you every time. That sigh. I recognise that sigh. It's the it's the it's the it's the, the sigh at the end of our session. Because we always finish mm-hmm. on one of these downers. Yeah. I, and I don't know how we can fix that. Should have just should have just fucking should have just left it at big, big green egg and sparkles. Big green egg. Big Green Egg. Is there a song for Big Green Egg? I'm sure there is. Uh, I'll put a Big Green Egg advert at the end. That'll cheer us all up. Thank you, John Birmingham. And your Big Green Egg.
finally, dear listener, we are at the denouement of this episode. And given that JB and I really did have a rather depressing conversation uh, just then, here's a couple of things that'll cheer you up. Three things, in fact. Firstly, uh, the uh, problems with the Nord Stream gas pipelines under the Baltic, well, so far, according to Reuters, uh, Western governments have not officially blamed Russia, although the European Union says they believe the damage was caused by sabotage but haven't named anyone. Things just get sabotage sometimes, I suppose. Uh, the head of the International Energy Agency, uh, she says it's, quote, very obvious, uh, unquote, who is behind it, but she still doesn't say who. Russia says the West did it. It's NATO's fault. Obviously, they would sabotage their own gas supply. Uh, on the subject of nukes, uh, here's uh, a possibly less frightening scenario. This is from this week's Rational Security podcast in a segment called Bad Vlad Sad Grab Has Leningrad a Tad Mad. Great title. Uh, they were talking about this idea that Putin's annexation of those four Ukrainian provinces was to make them Russia, at least in his mind, which means that any Ukrainian attack on them now becomes, in his mind, an attack on Mother Russia which validates, uh, you know, him using nukes or whatever. But really, you know, does that annexation really move that red line? For a red line to be an actual line, people have to actually believe it. And, and to me, this is so obviously fake that, of course, Putin can call this a red line, but... It, it to me doesn't meaningfully shift anything. Like if Putin wants to use nuclear weapons, he could just use nuclear weapons. He doesn't need any sort of fig leaf to do so. At any moment, he can say that this is a war of existential aggression against Russia and its Slavic peoples, blah, 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 and use tactical nuclear weapons on that basis. It doesn't seem to me that this red line changes anything because everyone, in particular those in the West, in particular those in Europe, who will ultimately decide whether they want to be willing to be cold for a long time and, and therefore continue to support the Ukrainians. They're the ones that have to decide this. So I, I guess I just, I don't see that this functioning even plausibly like a red line because it's just so fake. So you're feeling happier now? I know I am. On a final note, and this is kind of fun, I think, uh, there's a Scottish video maker on YouTube, uh, goes by the name Laser Pig with a Z, who's done a great little video this week titled RT-34s in Ukraine. You know, the T-34, the famous Soviet tank from World War II, highly symbolic. There are, in fact, a bunch of these still in operation in the Soviet Union, but mostly just for, you know, parades and ceremonial duties and so on. The short answer, T-34s in Ukraine, short answer, no. But Laser Pig does, in this video, which is quite amusing... Uh, he makes some fascinating observations about the corruption in Russia's supply chains, including this heartwarming story. If your workplace gets a shiny new lamp and you're the manager, well, that lamp is yours. Everything in that office belongs to you. You're the manager. You can take it home and sell it later if you like. That's fine in the eyes of the public. And anyone who doesn't take advantage of that is almost looked down upon with suspicion because if you're not taking advantage of it, then you're probably a pencil pusher who is going to rat out everybody else. So 
no one really trusts you. Now, I hear you cry, what does that have to do with tank numbers? Shut up, I'm getting there! Well, one of the least respected, lowest paid, and easiest jobs in the Russian army is the commander of a supply depot. It's a dead-end job, and for the majority of their life, someone who runs a supply depot is not really expected to do much. They fill in paperwork, they occasionally grant requisition requests, but if your supply depot is a stockpile, those requisition forms are never really going to come in, and when they do, they don't exactly ask for much. Your life is going to be bitter, boring, and highly underpaid. So if you want to sell off some of those old tanks at the very end of the yard off for scrap metal, well, I mean, no one's going to miss them, are they? Spare parts for your Lada? Sure, I can sell you something. Hey, you want a box of grenades? Seriously, when I was visiting my ex many years ago, he walked straight into a supply depot and purchased a box of grenades straight from the fucking commander, who was sitting on a box of ammunition. Smoking. Fucking legend. He had the prices set up on the wall behind him and even asked if I'd like a souvenir and tried to sell me a Tokarov. It was amazing. We sat throwing set grenades into the forest one night and kept score of how many trees we could knock over. It was very romantic. I mean, me and my ex did that, not, not me and the commander. That, that, that would have been weird. That's Laser Pig, dear listener. Check him out. That's all the edict for now. Please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. And yeah, chuck a, chuck a few bucks into the tip jar. Uh, tell your friends, like, subscribe, all of that bullshit. I'm not sure exactly when the next episode will be. But until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. There's a place where fire and flavor are celebrated where grilling traditions and new techniques are perfected. Here in Big Green Egg Country, you can grill it, roast it, smoke it, or bake it. An egg is versatile, easy to use, simple to light, and backed by a free lifetime warranty. Enjoy the convenience of shopping from home at BigGreenEgg.com with free home delivery from a local dealer in your community. That's right, shop from home and we'll bring your egg to you. Visit BigGreenEgg.com. That's BigGreenEgg.com. I should have signed him up as a sponsor, eh? Oh well, next time. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.